This is a GRDC podcast. We hear it all the time from ag scientists. We must protect the efficacy of existing chemistry because another one may not come along. It's for that very reason that a resistance management strategy has been developed for Helicoverpa amidura. G'day, I'm Chris Brown. Recently I hopped in the car and travelled to Toowoomba on the Darling Downs to talk to entomologist Melina Miles from the Queensland Department of Agriculture and Fisheries about this new resistance management strategy. Now, while I was there, she invited me to have a look at where she does much of her greenhouse research on Helicoverpa. Fascinating stuff. Well, one of the really important things with insect management is knowing when you need to treat them and when you don't. So with a range of crops, whichever crop we're doing work in, one of the very first things that we do is to try and quantify what impact the insect of interest is going to have on that crop. You know, are they going to damage buds? Are they going to damage flowers? Are they going to damage the developing seed? What sort of damage is it? Are they reducing the weight and yield or are they affecting quality by staining the seed? So all that sort of really basic work starts first before we go to the field and get an idea of whether it actually holds up in the field. And so that's what we've got here. In this tunnel, we've got faba beans and lupins, crops that we don't tend to see very often and as a consequence have had very little work done on them in the northern region. So what you're talking about is is thresholds, I suppose, the threshold of damage. How difficult is it for an agronomist or a farmer to just sort of pick that threshold of when to act? Well, I think in terms of relating that to an insect density, so, you you know, you might sample and you find three helis a metre or five helicoverpa a metre. You know, if you have no idea what one helicoverpa will do, that you're sort of all at sea as to whether you need to control because you've got five or you don't need to control because you've got two or three. So that's really where this research that we do gives the agronomist those tools to know how much damage they can expect from that number of, of insects. Many of them, you know, with experience, will get a feel for, you know, how many is going to be a problem and how, how few aren't going to be a problem. But really, you know, the tricky part is when you're close to what would be the threshold uh, as opposed to, you know, lots and lots that are obviously going to cause damage or very few that are going to cause n- no damage. It's that area in between where I think the threshold work that we do really comes into its own because for some pests, it's that sort of, you know, just around threshold where the population generally tends to be. Mm, I, and I suppose if you get the threshold wrong, that's when you get issues with resistance uh, over a longer term. Yeah, and so, you know, insecticide resistance is really kicked along where there are repeated applications of insecticide. And, you know, there are a number of reasons that happens. One is that the pest is going to be causing damage, so you control it. The other is that you're not perhaps sure about whether it's going to be causing damage or not because we don't know what the threshold is. And, you know, to be conserved, to ensure that you don't suffer loss, you put on an application. And the economic thresholds really have an important role in minimising the number of times that an agronomist or a grower might decide to treat a field when it really doesn't need it because it won't incur that loss. Okay. Well, tell me what we've got here and what you're looking for in this tunnel. So what have we got here? Okay so we've got a a stand of uh, faba beans here and there are a number of things that we're going to do with helicoverpa in this plot. 
because the pods develop up the plant and so you always have pods of different ages on a faba bean crop it becomes a bit more complicated to make a decision about when you might treat for helicoverpa which pods are susceptible and when so one of the first things that we're doing here is that we're going to put helis onto pods of different ages to see whether they have the same inclination to feed on them i guess my thoughts are that it's unlikely that they will damage pods that don't have developing seed in them and so, you know, for an agronomist who's making a decision about a, a faba bean crop that has healies in it that might have very small pods without developing seed in it, it may be, a, you know, simply a matter of saying, well, there are no pods with seeds, so we don't need to worry about it. We can come back in another week or so and check again. Okay, so you go to your, your Healy bank and just offload some, some of them onto the pods there? Yeah, that's right. So we rear um, Healy's for, specifically for these sorts of trials and we put larvae on that are sort of, you know, at that stage, that sort of fourth instar where they're starting to have their maximum consumption rate and we cage them individually so we know exactly, you know, and, and in a trial like this where what we're trying to say is, you know, how often do they damage a pod that's really small? How often do they damage one that's a medium size? How often would they damage a mature one? we might put on 50 to 100 larvae for each of those stages so that we have lots of replication so we can have quite a high level of confidence that when we say they don't damage small pods we're pretty confident that that's the case because we've seen lots of larvae not damage those small pods. And this is very important work isn't it because a lot of the chemistry that farmers are using now has developed resistance issues. Well, a lot of the old chemistry has resistance, particularly with Helicoverpa armidra, which is probably the, the major Helicoverpa species we, we deal with in the north. So really, the resistance management strategy that's been developed recently is focused on that newer chemistry that we would like to preserve. So we're not talking about the synthetic pyrethroids or the organophosphates. We're talking about the group 28s and indoxicarb, so those new products that we really want to make sure that the industry has available to it for the long term. And is there any sign of resistance developing in those now that is, that's prompted this strategy to be developed? Yeah, there is. And Indoxicarb, or Steward, the trade name of that product, is showing quite a rapid rate of insecticide resistance development. So we know that that's one product that we really do need to take some care with and minimise selection pressure for. The other Group 28, so things like Altacore, it is showing some early signs of resistance development. It's certainly not at a level yet where we see field failures and that's exactly the position we don't want to find ourselves in. I understand you are concerned about Altacore because it is so good that there is a bit of an over-reliance on it. it absolutely. It's a, an incredible product. It's, you know, it's a highly desirable product because it's soft on natural enemies for the most part. It has a very long residual, so you, know, you, you can get three weeks protection of a crop from it. And for that reason, it's the product of choice. So we will see you know, in, a, in a situation like chickpeas, for example, that agronomists and growers may choose to put it on more than once in that crop if they need to, if the helicoverpa pressure is persistent and high. And the fact that it's used in winter pulses, summer pulses, and also in the horticulture industry, to some extent in cotton, really does put it at risk. There's actually two strategies, one for the north and one for the, well, not so north. Yeah, that's right. So the strategy, because it has windows for use, and for summer pulses in particular, I guess you know, for winter pulses as well. Central Queensland is quite different in terms of their planting time and the duration of those crops from areas from the Darling Downs south. Okay, we'll talk about the windows in a minute, but basically what you're saying is that you really only want 
these products to be sprayed once. Is that right? That's right. Once per crop. The resistance management strategy is geared up to avoid the repeated use within one generation or subsequent generations of a single product. Are these windows based on dates or uh, some other factor? Well, currently they are based on dates and they really are a best bet on when those crops will be susceptible and most in need of protection. There is another factor that because we know that there is a fitness penalty for resistance with steward or indoxicarb, that that product shouldn't be used towards the end of the season. We don't want to see it being, particularly in central Queensland, we don't want it to be the last product that's used before winter and the same has translated to the south. So other than that, really those products are windowed so that they are used. Aldecor is available when it's going to be most useful, when the crop is most susceptible and needs the greatest protection, and then the others are rotated with that. So it's really only Indoxicarb, Steward and Aldecor that are windowed. All the other products, including the old products and a firm, are available for use whenever they are needed. And this is, I think, a really important thing to stress is that this is the first version of this resistance management strategy at the end of the first year or or season, season and a half, we'll be having a review where we ask agronomists and growers how they found it worked. Do we need to move those windows a little bit? Is Is it working for them? Are they able to get enough effective control with the strategy as we've proposed it in this first instance? And, you know, if needs be, we may revise it. Now you mentioned cotton. With growers who are also growing cotton, how does all this fit in together? Yeah, and you might you might intuitively think that they should line up the two strategies, the cotton resistance, the IRMS that the cotton industry uses, and this strategy. But the reality is that when the grains industry, so the the summer pulse and the winter pulse industries, need to use these products, and when cotton needs to use them, they just don't line up. So, because the use in cotton is is relatively small compared with the use in those grains industries, we wouldn't make any attempt to try and align them. What does that mean in, t- in practical terms for a grower? Well, it means if you're growing cotton and you're wanting to use uh, steward or altercore, you comply with the cotton IRMS. And if you're growing grains and you want to use them, you use the grains IRMS. Okay. And how does this apply to mung beans with, with such a, a short season and a couple of seasons, uh, a year of spring and a summer season? How does it, all this apply to that? Yep, so exactly the same strategy. The complication with with mung beans is that, you know, you have more pests. So chickpeas is a fairly simple system, really only helicoverpa is an issue. In mung beans, there are multiple pests. There are things like pod borer, which you may want to use the same products that you would use for healies, or you might get a vegetative infestation of healies or loopers or something that you might need to treat. So I think it's slightly more of a challenge for people to get their heads around how they might rotate through those products in a crop like mung beans, even though it's short, you may need to be treating, you know, more than once and thinking about what did I use? You know, is this the same generation? Would there have been Healy's there that I might have incidentally exposed? So really the windows are going to be the major guide for a crop like mung beans. And what's the role in the strategy of the non-chemical alternatives? Well, you know, this is where things like economic thresholds come in, where natural enemies and their activity come in, that all these things that agronomists and growers are starting to appreciate really all do play into minimising the likelihood that you will use an insecticide. So, you know, from an IPM point of view, we'd like to see an insecticide used only when needed. And where the population is below threshold and potentially increasing to to reach threshold or persist at a sub-threshold level, you know, 
factoring in things like whether there's natural enemy activity, whether there's disease, whether the crop's maturing more quickly, you know, all those sorts of things that agronomists and growers notice as they go about their usual business all need to be kind of given some attention in order to make the best decisions. And rather than an insecticide-first approach, I think this really does demand that those other factors are, are considered as well rather than taking the the simple spray first approach. So you've designed this RMS obviously to protect the longevity of a couple of really good chemistries. Where does price for the commodity play a part in this? Well price of the commodity, so when chickpeas, the chickpea price is sort of $800 to $1,000 a tonne, the threshold is lower. So essentially what that says is if you have an $800 a tonne crop, then the damage that one Healy will do is, you know, numerically higher than when it's $400 a tonne. So I guess what you will tend to see is that the frequency of spraying might not be higher, but they may have to intervene at an earlier stage in terms of the threshold. So rather than being two Healy's per square metre being the threshold, it might be one or one and a half at those higher prices. So, you know, the, the strategy doesn't change. It really is still dependent on good sampling to assess insect density and then making that decision. Under high Healy pressure season for example a low threshold to protect a higher value crop may result in two sprays more frequently than you might see in another year. So but yeah it really only affects the threshold. This new resistance management strategy has wide support in the industry. Greg Mills, who's the seed development manager for Bean Growers Australia, told me there's no overestimating the strategy's importance. Aldercore and Stewart have probably been instrumental in expanding both the the size of the chickpea and mung bean crops and the yields. We're striking some fantastic yields now. Take those products out of the equation, the dynamics of that are really going to change for people. Okay, well, what are the questions that growers should be asking their agronomists? Look, I think one of the things is that growers believe in their agronomists, and they should, but it's important for growers to be across this issue and have some understanding of it and probably questioning their agronomists about how they are going to abide by this strategy and what they are doing to manage it. There's probably a sense that she'll be right and we'll just do what we've done for another couple of years because it's worked, but really reducing the windows of application and the frequency of use of these products is is just so important. So to wrap this up, let's go back to Melina for a moment for the key take-home messages she wants you to grasp. Well, what we'd really love people to do is to get a copy of the resistance management strategy that's available on the GRDC website or on the uh, the beat sheet and to have a look at it and to take note of where those windows are, where they can use the various products and also to think about what they would do in the event that they may have to spray more than once because that's where we really need people to be prepared. So rather than you know doing what they may have done in the last few years, which is just repeat 
what they'd done earlier to think about, you know, if I have to spray again, what will I do? Or if the, I have an early infestation, what will I do? If I have multiple pests that I would normally have treated with the same product, what other product can I put into that system to take the pressure off these susceptible products? That was Melina Miles from the Queensland Department of Agriculture and Fisheries and also thanks to Greg Mills, the Seed Development Manager for Bean Growers Australia. Thank you for listening. My name's Chris Brown. You know, there are new GRDC podcasts each week, so subscribe and you won't miss out.